You know, these are interesting times, to say the least. January seems like a long time away, last January. In fact, February was when things were beginning to heat up a little bit, but in this part of the world, at least, uh, things were not too bad. Uh, some parts of Asia already were uh, in the situation where people were wearing masks. They were trying to social distance as much as possible. It was a concern. But in North America, February was still pretty good. It was only toward the end of February. But here we are at the end of June, just a few months from then, and how things have changed. I gave a sermon last year titled, The End Comes Suddenly. And this is not the end yet, but it does show just how rapidly our world can change and how suddenly things can be so very different. COVID-19 obviously was a body blow to the world, and it still is to some degree. And it pops up, it has rises and falls, and we don't know about whether we're in the first wave or <clears throat> we're waiting in the second wave or there is a second wave, but it's not going away anytime soon, at least from everything that we can tell. We've had droughts and fires and floods and locust plagues of biblical proportions in various places in the world. So there's an article coming out in the next Tomorrow's World magazine titled The Perfect Storm, showing how all these things have come together all at once. And when that article was written, that was before George Floyd. And when we throw that in the mix, you talk about a perfect storm. That's what we have. And we're only halfway through 2020. And this will certainly be a year to remember, or as I said on one of the videos that uh, are going out uh, each week, uh, a year to forget. I think it will be a year that many of us would like to forget. But we don't know what is exactly on the horizon the rest of the year or into next year. But we see something really big happening in our world today. We have the George Floyd situation with peaceful protests that started out peaceful, but it wasn't very long before they turned violent. And even at the very beginning, the brother of George Floyd was pleading with people for peace and not to go out rioting and tearing things up. And yet those pleas from his brother went unheeded. These peaceful protests turned violent, not just here, but in other places in the world. Hundreds, literally hundreds of businesses were destroyed, some of which were minority owned. And I never will forget the lady in New York, for example, a black lady that was outside and she was just talking to people out there on the sidewalk. She said, you know, if black lives matter, what about this black person? Because her business had been looted and, and destroyed by vandals. We see riots in Germany, Stuttgart, Germany, and Belgium, the Netherlands. We see statutes and monuments being torn down, and even attempts to set up separate countries within the country. So that we have the autonomous zone in Seattle. Uh, according to the news, they were going to tear it down, or at least tear down the barriers. But the protesters came out with guns, and the authorities backed off. It's as though we don't know what to do uh, to deal with these situations. 
and they've tried to set up an autonomous zone in Washington, D.C. We see cries for defunding the police. And in Minneapolis, the council has voted to uh, disband the police department. I'm not sure exactly what they have in mind. I guess social workers to go out there and confront people with guns and knives. Uh, but anyway, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, eventually, it'll go to the vote of the people, and I think that people will have some sense and recognize that this is not a good idea. We may have bad policemen, but no policeman is not going to be a very good idea. Brethren, what is happening in our world? What is taking place? Are we seeing the end of America, which is a title of a Tomorrow's World telecast by uh, Mr. Wallace Smith? Uh, we just reviewed it this last week. I saw it yesterday, a very fine, uh, powerful telecast. It'll probably be banned in Australia, uh, but hopefully not, but probably will be, maybe New Zealand, who knows. As time goes by, the truth is being suppressed more and more by these individuals who call for diversity, who call for tolerance, but have no tolerance and no diversity. They want it their way and their way only. What's happening? And more importantly, do you understand the big picture? Do you and I, members of the Living Church of God, do we understand the big picture of what is happening here? Can we see beyond the, the, the events of the day to the big picture of what is taking place in our world? Let's step back today and think about what we are seeing. And let's consider what or who is behind the convergence of all these events, this perfect storm that is taking place in our world and taking place very suddenly. And let's ask ourselves some serious questions about ourselves and what we believe. And if you're a title taker, the title of the sermon is Come Out of Her, My People. Come out of her, my people. We all know who the God of this world is. If I ask you the question, who is the God of this world? Unless you are young, unless you uh, are, are brand new in the church of God, unless you've been living in a bubble, you know the answer to that. That Satan is the God of this world. We know that God, our creator, is over everything. But he has allowed Satan a position of authority on this world. Jesus three times called him the ruler of this world. In John 12 and verse 31, he says, Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This was at the very end of his life, the very uh, end of the time when uh, he was going to be taken out and crucified. That statement was made in John 12, verse 31. Chapter 13 is where we have the foot washing ceremony. We see the, the time setting there. John 14, verse 30. And the comments that he made to his disciples that night, he says, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world. In John 16, verse 11, he says, the ruler of this world is judged. So he called the ruler of this world very clearly, referring to Satan, the devil, three times in just a few chapters there in the book of John, the 12th to the 16th chapters. He knew this enemy very well. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, and we'll turn over there, Matthew 4, and we'll begin in verse 8, and 
This is something that we are so familiar with. I'm not telling you anything that you do not already know. These are things that we know. But do we think about them? It's, it's, it's one thing to understand something in an academic context, but it's another thing when we are faced with it head on. But here he says here in, in verse 8, Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He said, I will give you all of these kingdoms of the world if you just fall down and worship me. Now, Jesus didn't say, well, what do you mean? You don't have the authority to do that. No, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the eternal your God and him only you shall serve. He did not deny that Satan had the authority to give him those things. But he wasn't fooled by that ploy of the devil. He knew him quite well. In fact, over in the book of John, the 8th chapter, we see what he tells us about this spirit being. When he was confronted with the people of that day, he said in verse 44, John 8:44, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. That's interesting, the desires of your father you want to do. Now, why is that the case? Well, Satan pumps into our minds various thoughts, attitudes, lust, greed, hatred, all of those things. The attitude of revenge, all those things are pumped into our minds by Satan the devil. At least he tries to if we dwell on them. You, uh, The desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, you see, they were come to the place where they wanted to murder Jesus the Christ. They didn't see him as the Messiah, but they were so angry with him, for what? For telling them the truth. Not for lying to them, not for deceiving them in some way, but for telling them the truth. And they were so angry, they had the spirit of murder within them. And he says it, and... Uh, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. There is no truth in the devil. When he speaks a lie, so he is certainly a liar, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He is the author of lies. And he pumps many lies into the minds of, of human beings all over this earth. And if we're not careful, he can do the same to us. And we should not think that we are immune to it. Remember what he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan was allowed to, or Satan was working through Peter. And what Peter said was, well, they're not going to take you, Lord. We, we know that this is wrong for them to take you. We're going to stop them. We will come to the rescue. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things of God. So if Peter could be deceived that way, and James and John, when they were angry and wanted to call fire down from heaven, if that was a thought that came from the devil, are we exempt from those things? Are we so above that we cannot fall prey to the thoughts and the attitudes of Satan, the devil? Paul knew who directs the course of this world. Over in the 2 Corinthians, the 
fourth chapter, very familiar scripture. Nothing here that you haven't heard many times over. But in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, even if the truth, the gospel, the good news is veiled, it isn't available to the people. In other words, there's a veil cast over their eyes. They don't get it. It is veiled to those who are perishing, at least at this time are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age. Who is the God of this age? Satan the devil. And he has blinded their minds. Now, how does the devil blind the minds of people? Well, I'll let you mull on that for a, a moment or two here, and we'll get to it eventually. But we know one way that he blinds our minds because it's spelled out very specifically in Scripture. And we'll get to that in due time. But he is the one that blinds the eyes of people who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In Ephesians, the second chapter, such a, a common scripture that we use so often here. But I want you to think beyond, uh, beyond the academics of this, and I want you to think in terms of how this applies to you and me. Because these things are not written for the world. They're written for us, to instruct us. But here in Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So these are individuals. He's primarily writing to Gentiles here, in fact, if you really look at the, the whole context of all. He said, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. So he's not just talking only to the Gentiles, but he's saying all of us at one time or other walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were instruments in his hands, so to speak. Now, if he is directing the course of this world, we need to stand back and we need to look at what is happening in our world and avoid getting caught up in it. You know, there's so many things out here that we can get caught up in. We can get caught up in Black Lives Matters. We can get caught up in, here in the United States, First Amendment rights and, and the right to bear arms and all kinds of, you know, whether it be freedom of speech or, or freedom to bear arms. We can get caught up in those things. You know, we, we look at the Constitution in this country and in Canada, it's the Charter of, of Rights. And we look at those almost as though they are scriptural, but they're not, as I've said so many times before. We need to back off from some of these things and try to see it from God's perspective, not from all these things that get pumped into our minds from the right and from the left and every place in between. We have these agendas out here. Hey, look, I, I think I've given this example before, but... Uh, I'll say this, that Mr. Bill Clinton was not my favorite president. He was our president, and I'll call him Mr. or Mr. President, uh, because we owe that respect to him. And everything he did was not wrong, uh, and everything he did was certainly not right. But I didn't like his behavior and uh, the infidelity and all the things that were really proven 
uh, before it was all over. But I used to listen to a radio station when I was in Kansas City, and they were talking about Mena, Arkansas, and uh, drug running, and dead bodies, and everything, and the Clinton Chronicles, and all this sort of thing. And, and one day, as I was listening to this, I said to myself, I can't prove any of this. I know what I do know that has been proven, you know, publicly and, and come out. I, I know I don't care for his character. But I don't know these other things that they're true. And why do I fill my mind with stuff? Because what these people are doing is selling books. They're selling tapes. They're selling hatred. And it wasn't doing me any good. And I had to realize that I was allowing myself to get caught up in something that God didn't want me to be caught up in. And so I stopped listening to that radio station. It's taken a few years, but I've come to realize that we, we have to respect all of these individuals. That when you, you look at things in retrospect, sometimes you are shocked by how bad they were in behavior, and sometimes you're shocked at the good things that they did. And sometimes it takes a little bit of history to be able to, to really sort things out in our own minds. But we have to be very careful about allowing hatred, because that's what, what happens when you listen to all this stuff. It develops a, a spirit of hatred and dis distrust and dislike that's not good for you and not good for me. You know, there, there are people out here in the world that are on the news and so forth that you may not agree with all the time, we don't have to hate them. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that if you sat down and had a cup of coffee or a beer, you'd probably enjoy their company. But you just don't like their ideas. And, and with a lot of people, you don't like some ideas, you like others. But they're human beings struggling in this world to sort things out without God's Spirit. And we have to be able to, to see beyond what's happening and get the big picture of what is taking place here. When we look at Revelation, the 12th chapter, and verses 9 and 10, again, very familiar passage, but sometimes we forget what these scriptures say. Uh, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, not Jeremiah, Revelation, the 12th chapter, and verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's not the whole world except my political persuasion. That's not the whole world except this particular group over here. It's not the whole world except, you know, whatever you, you fill in the blank. Uh, <clears throat> he's deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. He has his minions that are out there pumping wrong thoughts into people's minds if we allow it. Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So he is the accuser of our brethren. Do we realize, brethren, that he is going to be pumping into your mind and to my mind accusations against one another to try to discredit one another? And certainly he's going to try to discredit the leaders of his church. And I'm not saying that just because I happen to be one of them. That's just the way he works. He's going to try to discredit 
the leadership of the church, whether that's local or whether that's uh, on the regional level or whether it is uh, on the you know, worldwide level uh, here in Charlotte. He's going to use every accusation he can, every innuendo, every little twist. He'll take a little bit of truth and throw a little bit of air in it so that the whole thing comes out in a way that uh, is a lie in the end. And he's going to use that against us. We have to understand who is in charge of this world. And if we fail to realize that, we're just going to be whipsawed back and forth at his will. And he's going to play us like a fiddle, as they say. And I'm afraid that sometimes he does. When I was an ambassador to college, every year at the very beginning, and I think because the Feast of Tabernacles was coming up, we had either a sermon or a Bible study, and the title of which was something like, What is Worldliness? And the question was asked, uh, is playing cards or is dancing worldliness? Because people came to Ambassador College, many of us didn't grow up in the church, and many of them had never even attended a Sabbath service before coming to church and are coming to Ambassador College. And so they wanted to lay a certain foundation there because we did certain things, like we had dances. We accepted the fact that you could drink alcohol in moderation, or you could play cards or any number of things. We understood that. Uh, but the question was, you know, is having a beer or a glass of wine, is that worldliness? Well, it certainly can be if it's more than, uh, you know, a glass or a beer. If you go overboard, we understand that. But that was the subject of the the message, the Bible study or uh, sermon that was given there. Now, how do we know what is worldly and what is not? That's an important question. How do we know? Well, I think you know the answer to that, don't you? The Word of God tells us what is worldly and what is not. In 1 John, the second chapter, verses 15 to 17, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's all of the world, and it says, and the world is passing away. That's going to go. But right now, that's what we have here. But specifically, when you get to more specifics, because lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's kind of a general statement. But we had a, a motto at Ambassador College, the Word of God is the foundation of knowledge. And it was chiseled into concrete or stone there on the side of Ambassador Hall. The Word of God is the foundation of knowledge. That's where we have to go to know what is right and what is wrong. That is the foundation of knowledge. Proverbs, the first chapter, in verse 7, says, as Proverbs 1, 7, I'll just quote this here for the sake of time. It says, The fear of the eternal, or the Lord, is a beginning of knowledge, having a deep, abiding respect for God. And, and yes, even a fear of, of disobedience but having that, that proper fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the end. It's the beginning of knowledge. And Psalm 111, verse 10, Psalm 111 and verse 10, it says the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. So that's where knowledge begins. That's where wisdom begins. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And then over in John, the 17th chapter, Let's turn over there, John 17. We know that this was when Jesus was uh, praying to his Father uh, prior to 
being taken into custody. This is the real Lord's Prayer, uh, in effect. Uh, the other was a sample of how to pray, but this was the prayer of Jesus. And verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do you realize, uh, brethren, that the world will hate us? In fact, in, in Matthew 24, it speaks of, uh, be hated, I think it's Matthew 24, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Uh, but the end is not yet. I believe that's where it is. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now, we have to live here in this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one, the one who is stirring up strife and hatred and all kinds of wrong thoughts and attitudes. And he says, I pray that you would keep them from him. In other words, this is something that you and I can fall prey to if we're not careful, if we're not close to God. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is where we have to be guided, or what we have to be guided by, which is the truth of God's Word. Now, what does the Bible tell us about conditions at the end of the age? What are things going to be like? Well, we know in Luke, the 17th chapter, he says it's going to be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot. That's uh, Luke 17, verses 26 and 28. And when we go back to Genesis, the sixth chapter, Genesis 6, verses 5 and 11, speaks of every thought of, every thought of intense, oh, I, let me try it here, uh, Genesis 6, trying to save time because I have a lot of territory to cover here, but uh, verse 5, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The, the, the very thoughts of his heart, uh, the intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what the world was like then, and that's what he says it's going to be like leading up to Christ's return. And then down in verse 11, it says, The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The earth was filled with violence. And our world is going to become more violent before it's all over. Because there's a spirit being here who's going to stir up hatred. And as you know, some of you, you remember, I've said you know, on more than one occasion, the challenge for you and me is not to allow hatred to enter into our hearts. Because things are going to happen here. Not just with other people. But things will happen perhaps within our own families, amongst our friends. You know, if one of us is martyred, is killed, we could get angry. But we have to see the big picture of it. We cannot allow hatred to enter into our hearts. He is going to divide us in every way that he possibly can. That is Satan's way. He wants to divide and conquer. And brethren, we cannot allow that to happen in the church of God. We simply cannot. And yet, Scripture shows that uh, we have to wonder that, that Satan is going to get to some, apparently, and cause division within the church. And that's very sad. 
And yet we have to allow that to happen. Uh, it's not going to happen without us allowing it to happen. You know, in the days of Lot, we know that it was sexual perversion. People turned to Ezekiel 16, verse 49, and they had a lot of time in their hands, and they had great luxury. Those things are all true. But the next verse, verse 50, shows that they practiced abominable things. And all we have to do is go back to the book of Genesis and see what was happening there. And there are plenty of scriptures showing that the, the perversion, sexual perversion is is uh, a major problem then, and it is going to be here at the end of the age, and it already is. Uh, we, we have the reference to 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, and in verse 1. You know, one of the reasons I'd like to not go too long today, brethren, is some of you are meeting in person, and I think that in some of the locations where you have low ceilings and maybe not the best circulation, and even though you're able to social distance, there's still an, an issue that could come up here. So we, we don't want to go long on our services, at least for the time being, until we see how things go. But in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Now, I'm just going to skip over a little bit of this because of the sake of time and all, and we've heard this so many times. But it says, men will be lovers of themselves. Boy, is that true. We live in a narcissistic age where it's all about me. You know, one of the things that we're dealing with is, should we wear masks for services? And we've pretty much allowed the local minister, in conjunction with his regional director, to make those decisions. And so much of it depends on the facilities and how many people and what kind of circulation. There's so many factors that go into it. But, you know, we have people, I am sure, that are so self-willed that I'm not going to do that. They, those are probably the same people that condemn us for not holding services in person. But then when you hold services in person, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. That's getting caught up in all this stuff that's going on out here. We've got the, the left, which is saying everybody should wear a mask. And we've got the right, many on the right, saying nobody's going to tell me what to do. Masks don't make any difference. Okay, so which side are we on? I hope that we're on the side of being prudent. And it doesn't matter who is saying it. What is right? What is, what is the best policy? What is the safest policy and what is, you know, if, it, if we don't know all the facts, which we don't know all the facts about this, and there's so much politics out here regarding this COVID situation that it's hard to sort out what is true and what isn't. But isn't it best to be safe rather than sorry? And so in some areas, we're saying, if you want to come to services, wear a mask. In other areas where it may be perfectly safe, for example, down in New Zealand, I say perfectly safe, it's it's certainly safer than most places because apparently they have no COVID there. In Vanuatu, there's none. Well, you can certainly have singing and no masks. But in other areas, it makes sense to be very careful. And, you know, let's not get caught up in the politics of this world because there's so much out there. And I know that many of our, our members tend to be more on the conservative side of things, at least here in the United States, 
I am. But I don't believe everything that every conservative person says. And I don't distrust what the other side says. Sometimes they make more sense than, than the other. You know, we, we have to stand back and we have to, to look at the Word of God and, and try to use some common sense on these things. But brethren, we have to work together as a team, as, as members of one body, where wearing masks really isn't to protect you, it's to protect others if you happen to be uh, contagious and you don't know it. It's to protect other people more than it is to protect you, although there may be some protection for you, but specifically it's more for the other person. Do we have love for one another? Do we care for one another? I hope we do, and I know that most of us uh, certainly do, but there's always that individual out there that nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, read what the Bible says about being self-willed and rejecting counsel and just being, read uh, Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2. I'll just leave that for you to check that out on your own. But here he says, for men will be lovers of themselves, disobedient to parents, we see a younger generation rising up against their parents. And this is far deeper than we realize because they're going off to these universities. They have all these leftist Marxist, really, that's what it is, professors who are pumping all kinds of things in their heads. And so now we have young people out there on the Internet, on, on Facebook, and they're, they're crying and complaining about their parents and having to turn them in and this sort of thing because they... They don't go along with the agenda that's out there. And this is just starting. And it's going to pick up steam. And how do we know that? Because the scriptures tell us that, that our own household, members of our own household, are going to rise up against us. It's a very serious situation, brethren. It says, slanders. They're going to slander us. Without self-control. Do we control our emotions? Or do we let them run rampant? Brutal, despisers of good, traitors. Traitors. Traitors of country. Headstrong. Let's turn over to Matthew 24. Very quickly here. Matthew 24. And we'll begin in verse 8. We know this is the Olivet Prophecy. It's talking about the end of the age. He says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, one of the ways that we'll be hated is because we don't go along with the, the pattern of this world. When the mob comes and they expect you to go along with what they're saying and doing, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I notice in my neighborhood, we have people putting out uh, black ribbons and blue ribbons. I guess one is for Black Lives Matters and the other one is for the police and dividing. And what are you going to do when they come to your house and say, we want you to put up this or that? Are we going to get involved in it? Or are we going to stand back and say, look, this is not, this is not something I'm going to get involved in? And who knows what other issues are going to come up down the road where they're going to want to push you into being a part of the mob that is out there. As it says here in verse uh, 10, and then many will be offended. Many will be offended. Brethren, before I finish today, some of you may be offended because I tell you the truth. 
Many will be offended. We'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. We can't allow that to happen within the church of God. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound. This is what is coming. This is what's already here. But lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many. Brethren, don't let that happen to you. We can't allow that. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Enduring to the end. When you endure something, it doesn't mean it's a, it, it's a, a nice picnic walk. It means we're going to have to persevere through the times that are yet ahead of us. Let's talk about recent events. Let's get more specific. You know, we recognize that the murder of George Floyd uh, was a, a terrible thing. It is interesting, and please don't misunderstand me, but isn't it interesting that no matter how much evidence there is, if you see somebody shooting somebody, you have to say the alleged murder? But in this case, nobody's saying alleged. I think that we all agree that what was done was not proper justice. It was, it was a criminal act. I think we see enough. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see all that happened before. And there's a lot of stuff out here and we don't know all the facts. We ought to just admit it. We don't. We don't know all the facts. But what happened was a crime. There was no reason for him to die the way that he did. We all agree on that. So I've said it once and I'm not going to say it again. We don't need to, we don't need to uh, continue to, to cover ourselves on that. We all agree on it. In fact, I haven't met anybody that disagrees with that. I am sure that there are. And I've read enough on, on uh, YouTube and, and comments that people make to know that there are racists out there. But there are racists on both sides. I'm not justifying uh, white racism because there's plenty of that. But there, you know, the, the, the definition of racist from the universities going back 25, 30 years is that you can only be a racist if you are in a position of power. Now, brethren, do we really believe that? Uh, could you only hate if you are in a position of power? Uh, I don't think that that's, that doesn't even make logical sense. But that is what has been pumped into the minds of so many people. But I've seen some racist comments coming from white people. And I've seen some things that are racist coming from the other side. Neither one of them is right. And we don't have to weigh it out and say, well, there's more here, more there. It's wrong, period. End of story. That's all we have to say. It's wrong, whether it comes from one side or the other. But do we see what is happening in the aftermath of this? George Floyd's brother pleaded for peace. He wanted protests, yes, but peaceful protests. That's not what happened. What began as peaceful protests has not ended up as peaceful. Hundreds of properties, many minority owned, have been destroyed. You read some of the stories. One of them spent 15 years. I think this person was from India or some other. That, that area of Minneapolis is very multicultural. And, you know, I've actually driven that general area, I don't know if actually that road where this took place, but it's very multicultural. And, you know, these, these businesses were destroyed. People spent their whole lives building these businesses. And, and people come through 
and destroy them. For what reason? For what cause? Is that going to bring George Floyd back? Is it going to stop somebody else from being killed? Not really. What began is peaceful protest didn't end that way. People have lost their lives, some of them minorities. Anarchists now are vandalizing monuments and taking over city blocks. I could read the list. In fact, I've got a list of some of the people, some of the statues and monuments that are taking down. It's quite a long list, including people like Christopher Columbus, George Washington at George Washington University, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, who was the general who fought against the Confederacy and basically was the one who, who won, finally, the one general that uh, put an end to the Confederacy. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Thomas Jefferson, the Emancipation Statue. You know, in England, they wanted to deface the statue of Winston Churchill, who fought against tyranny in Europe, against Hitler, who killed so many thousands, millions of Jews and others. And yet they want to tear down his statue or deface it. Uh, St. Louis, the city of St. Louis, wants to change its name because it was named after King Louis IX. Well, I think probably in tomorrow's world we will change the name of St. Louis because the whole, the whole concept of St. This and St. That is, is a, a Catholic concept. But, you know, am I offended because St. Louis is called St. Louis? I'm not offended by it, but I guess some people are. Abolitionists such as Abraham Lincoln, Matthias Baldwin, and irony of our, all ironies, up in Madison, Wisconsin, that great bastion of, uh, of leftism, has torn down the Hans Christian Hegg statue, who was an abolitionist who fought in the Civil War against the South, tried to put an end to slavery, and was killed at the Battle of uh, Chickamauga, uh, Chickamauga, uh, in the Civil War. And yet they tore his statue down through it in a lake. Does any of this make sense to anybody? Is this what it's all about? This isn't about black and white. This is about a leftist agenda that is trying to tear down our world, tear down America. And not just America, but these protests are going on all around the world. Satan is stirring up this animosity, this hatred, building hatred within people, and eventually, what he'll do is turn it against the Israelite nations and against you and against me. I don't care what race we are, he's going to turn it against you and me. And we can't allow ourselves to be a part of this. Let's take a closer look at the people behind some of this anarchy. First of all, we, we are very certain that Antifa is involved. That stands for anti-fascist, and yet they are fascists themselves. Their, their trademark is taking clubs and breaking windows and destroying burning cars, and especially police cars, and beating people up. That's, that's their trademark. I am sure that there are some white supremacist groups that are taking advantage of this. They've learned from Saul Alinsky, who was... Um, uh, one of those community organizers and had a great deal of influence on certain individuals that I'll let you sort that out. But 
Saul Alinsky was, was a clever fella. He said, if you want to protest somebody, don't go in there and just shout the person down, but go in there and pretend to be somebody that everybody hates, like the Ku Klux Klan, and every time the person says something positive, cheer and make it look like these are the followers of this individual. So I wouldn't put it past the, uh, the other side here, the whites, uh, supremacists, to go in there and pretend to be on the other side. I don't doubt that. There, at least that's been reported, possibly. I don't know. But there are a lot of opportunists. There are a lot of people just looking for a good time. I remember in high school, it was, uh, that was during the early 60s, and things were getting uh, out of hand a little bit, especially up around Berkeley and various other places. And there were, there were all these protests over the war, but I think even before that, there were protests over free speech and then the dirty speech movement that took place at Berkeley and all this type of thing. And so our high school, somebody had the idea that we need to have a protest because I think in Santa Maria they were having one, so here in Lompoc we got to have one. And so all of us went out on the, the front lawn and we sat down. We had a sit-in. Now, we didn't have a clue what we were protesting. We just had to be in on the action. But we had a principal that came out with a, meg, you know, a megaphone or whatever. And he said, anyone who is not back in the class in five minutes, and I don't remember what he said, but there was a threat. Whatever the threat was, it worked because we all walked back there with our tails between our legs, but we wanted to protest because everybody else was. Now, there are sincere individuals out there that are angry and upset. They don't know what you and I know. I understand that. But this has been taken over by people who are not so, so sincere in their protests, or they are sincere in their protests, but they have a different agenda. And they abuse this travesty of justice to, uh, you know, drive a wedge between peoples and to create what they want. Let's look at at the uh, the organization Black Lives Matter because I, I, I'm, I'm going to get into something that is going to make some of you nervous. I'm sure some of the people right here are, are nervous right now because we can't say anything about Black Lives Matter. Well, why can't we? Are there certain truths that we cannot address because we're going to be cowardly? We're afraid of being labeled racist? Because anything you say about these subjects, oftentimes, well, you, you're racist. That doesn't mean that you are, but when you can't deal with the facts, it's easy just to throw that out. We have a world that loves names, to throw out names on people. You know, large numbers have jumped on the bag and bandwagon of Black Lives Matter, but what do people know about the people behind this movement and what their goals are? Patrice Cullors uh, has come out and, and made it very clear that she and Alicia uh, Garza, three of the, the women who started this movement, are queers. That's her term, queer. I, I would normally think lesbian, but that's her term, so we'll, we'll just use her term, queer. Now, according to Patrice Cullors, in a 2015 interview on The Real News, 
trnn.com, which is a, uh, a very pro-black uh, uh, site uh, on the Internet. Uh, she was interviewed there uh, by a black man, very pro-black. And she is interviewed there, and she says, and I've watched the, the interview, it's not something I've read someplace else from some obscure source. I went right to the source. And she said that two of the three are trained Marxists. Trained Marxists. Now, that should cause us at least to pause. But let's go right to the source. Let's go right to their website and see what their goals are and what their... What you know, who, who they say they are. So let me read here. And, and I encourage you to go to that website. Just go to it directly and see what it says for yourself. Don't believe me, but believe what it says. There's a, a portion of the website that is her story, her, all one word, H-E-R-S-T-O-R-Y. Her story. It's not history, but her story. Now, that of itself is not necessarily evil, but let's just see what it says. In 2013, three radical black organizers, uh, that's what they say about themselves, radical black organizers, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, created the black-centered political will and movement building project called Black Lives Matter. Notice it's a political uh, will here. It wasn't a party as such, but it's a, it's a, it, it has a political direction. Uh, Black Lives Matters is an ide ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systemically and intentionally targeted for demise. Targeted for demise. Now, I, you know, I, I know that there are bad policemen in this world, and I know that there are bigots and racists in this world. But is all of America... Uh, systemically and intentionally targeting people of color? I don't think that's true. Black liberation movements. Now, I think that's interesting because liberation you always find in these uh, Marxist organizations. Black liberation movements in this country have created room, space, and leadership mostly for black heterosexuals, cisgender men. Cisgender is a term that you may have heard of, may not have, because it's really come out much more in recent times, but it just means that it's men who are biologically men and think they are men, or cisgender women. They are biologically women, and they actually think they're women. Um, where black heterosexual cisgender men, leaving women, queer, and transgender people, and others either out of the the movement or in the background to move the work forward with little or no recognition. So they're not necessarily about, uh, you know, people of different races. Even within their own race, they're saying here that, uh, you know, cisgender men and heterosexual uh, people, uh, they're in the forefront, but we've been left out. It says, as a network, we have always recognize the need to center the leadership of women and queer and trans people. They want to put them at the center. The space that Black Lives Matter has held and continues to hold helped propel the conversation around the state-sanctioned violence they experienced. Now, you know, I think that some would see it that way, that there was state-sanctioned violence. Uh, 
I'm not going to deny that there hasn't been that. We know that there has been historically in this country. The Ku Klux Klan had four million members at its height, and it was a political party. And blacks were uh, singled out uh, for uh, violence. No doubt about it. Is that the general state today? Well, I guess that depends on, on one's experience. And I'm not going to deny that somebody has uh, been uh, singled out in some way. But uh, it, it says here, uh, uh, we particularly highlighted the egregious ways in which black women, specifically black trans women, are violated. That's under her story. Now, what we believe, we are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, uh, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, uh, immigration status or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle Cis, cisgender privilege. We want to dismantle cisgender privilege. Remember, that's believing what you are biologically. And uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women. Now, when they say black trans women or white trans women, whatever, I, I'm, I never quite figured out, is this a man wanting to be a woman or a woman wanting to be a man? But uh, especially black trans women, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Is there violence against trans people? I believe there probably is. I don't doubt that. But this is the focus of this, this group. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environment, uh, environment, environments in which men are centered. We don't like men being in the center of things. We engage comrades. I'm just skipping over some things here. Comrades, interesting term, which comes up over and over in some of these. It's, it's a legitimate word, but where do we normally find it? We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private, even as they participate in public justice work. Well, they shouldn't have to have a job so they can, you know, if they want to participate in public justice work. The patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Think about this, brethren. Is this what you believe? We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, it never mentions husbands or men in a positive way, mothers, parents, and children are uh, comfortable. Well, if, if you're queer, and that means you love some of the same sex, well then, I guess parent maybe does work better than fathers. Fathers are left out of this. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heter heteronormative thinking, or rather, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual, unless see he or they disclose otherwise. 
And then what matters for 2020? Uh, they will focus on issues concerning racial injustice, police brutality, criminal justice reform, black immigration, economic injustice, LGBTQIA+, and human rights, environmental injustice, access to health care, access to quality education, and voter rights and suppression. You know, there, it's a mixture of good and evil. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some of the things that they want are not bad. But I ask again, is this what you believe? Now, when somebody goes out there on the Internet and they say, hey, Tuesday, Blackout Tuesday, let's all be supportive of, uh, of this situation, uh, started by a bunch of musicians, but it's hard to separate it from, from the uh, BL, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, what, what did you do? Did you say, oh, yeah, I want to get on the bandwagon? Or did you say, ooh, wait a minute, I want to know what these people believe? Go to the website, find for yourself. You know, if, if black lives truly matter, why don't they speak out for all the blacks who have been killed black-on-black -black violence? You just almost never hear them speaking out on that. Uh, remember that 77-year-old retired, highly respected police officer in St. Louis? What's his name? What is his name? The one that was killed by looters. Isn't it interesting that we don't know their names? What was the name of the three-year-old boy that was killed in Chicago last week, along with 13 other people, five of which were children? Do we know the names of any of them? Do we even know here in Charlotte the names of the four people who died last weekend when a gunfight broke out at a block party? I mentioned on a video that 100 shots were fired. Actually, it was, uh, now they say they, they found cartridges for 181 shells being fired. Some miracle that more weren't killed. A number of them were injured by, you know, being hit by cars. In fact, one of them died that was hit by a car just trying to get away from it. Do we know the names of any of these people? Do their lives matter? The fact is, brethren, all lives matter. Now, that's been made fun of when we say all lives matter, but they do. We don't need to get on the bandwagon of blue lives matter, you know, black lives matter. All lives matter. Let's talk about some really important things uh, that we need to. You know, we've been called to a different way of life. And God warns us about living in Satan's world. In 2 Peter 2, verse 19, it says, Well, they promised them liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise liberty, and they really bring you into slavery in, in reality. They're slaves of corruption, of violation of God's law. Proverbs 24, verses 21 and 22, it says, Do not associate with those given to change. In other words, revolutionaries. Don't associate with them. And Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, lest you learn his ways. Sometimes we just need to turn it off. Otherwise, we get angry ourselves. And Proverbs 29, verse 22. Look up these scriptures. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife. An angry man stirs up strife. 
And you know, the rush to judgment that so often happens. It's interesting how our media here in this country, uh, if, if it's someone who is of Islamic background and shoots 20 people on a military base, we should not rush to judgment. But in other situations, boom, it's an immediate rush to judgment. Why is that? Can we not stop and think of what's happening in our world? You know, it says here in Proverbs 18:17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Have you ever believed something to be a certain way until you heard the other side? Boy, I have. I've been suckered so many times that way. Somebody tells you, you, get, you really get upset and angry until you hear the other side. And you're like, well, it wasn't exactly as I thought. Happens to me. I confess that. I'm not going to apologize for things that I don't need to apologize for, but that's certainly one I have to. You know, God is love. There's no room for hatred in the body of Christ. None. Zero. The article that is in, you know, a former magazine, but it's on our website here, The Sins of, of Anarchy, Racism, and uh, uh, Secularism. Uh, review that. That's what we teach. Even our statement of fundamental beliefs, we speak out against racism. Racism is a sin, period. And 1 John 4, verses 20 to 21, says if we can't, if we, if we hate, if we say we love God and, and hate our neighbor, uh, we deceive ourselves. How can we love God whom we have not seen and uh, hate someone that we have? There's so many scriptures on this subject. You know, you might look up John 13, verses 34 to 35. Very powerful statement. John 13, verses 34 to 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And brethren, I see so much love in the church. I, I really genuinely do. I go to South Africa and there's love amongst the races, amongst God's people. Go to the Philippines, same thing. Go to Mexico City and, and you see the, the brethren there love those of us here and, and we love them. The local congregation here in Charlotte, there's a, a tremendous amount of love across racial lines, across uh, national lines and so forth. We have very multicultural churches in London and Toronto and uh, very other, various other places. Uh, you go to Toronto and people come from everywhere. London, the same thing. We see that. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an article in Business Insider, and you might have heard this, but during a discussion, I'm quoting from Business Insider, during a discussion about repentance and shame regarding racism at a June 14 roundtable discussion at Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, the fast food chain CEO, whose name is Dan Cathy, uh, got up and shined the shoes of Lecrae, I probably pronounced that wrong, a black Christian rapper, and said that the world needs to have a sense of shame, embarrassment, and an apologetic heart. Now, brethren, do we hate each other? I don't think that most of us do. I'm not saying there's nobody out there that does. 
I hope there's nobody out there that does, but why should we have to apologize to one another? Unless there's a legitimate reason. But we have people running around here feeling guilty for reasons they don't even know, except that they've been told that they have to be guilty. You know, we've been washing one another's feet, not just shining shoes, but washing one another's feet for decades. I came into the church in 1964. I don't know that we had any... any uh, uh, people of different races in the congregation, not at first when I was in Santa Barbara, a very small congregation, but we certainly did in the Los Angeles area. And I, I'm not aware that there was any discrimination there. I do know that there was a time in Big Sandy, Texas, where blacks sat, sat in their own section, but that was 19, you know, early 60s, maybe mid 60s. It was a different world. And as one politician said, and I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said it far more beautifully than I can. But selective self-righteousness of things in the past is cheap. It's easy. It's easy to be self-righteous about things that happened in the past. But, I, I, you know, for decades, we've been washing one another's feet. We don't have to make some statement that, oh, I'm going to wash somebody's or polish somebody's shoes here because I've got to apologize no, we've been washing one another's feet for decades. I've only known of one particular case where a woman refused to wash somebody's feet because of race. She was wrong. I doubt that she stayed in the church. I don't know. I don't know who she was, but I heard of the case. But that's wrong. And I don't know of, in all my years in the church, I only know of that one incident, and I only heard of that secondhand. You know, Romans 2, 28 and 29, and Galatians, the third chapter, verses 26 through 29, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Now, that can be taken to an extreme because some have taken that there's no, neither male nor female. That means that we, uh, you know, that some have taken that in the wrong way. No, there are differences in who we are. Women are women and men are men. But in terms of how God sees us, we're all Abraham's children. If we've been baptized, if we have God's Spirit in us, we're brothers and sisters. We have God's DNA in us, so to speak. And how wonderful that is. This is not God's world at this time that we live in. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's in John 18.36. John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be given to the Jews or taken by them. So if this were not, if this were God's world, then yes, we should be out there trying to change it. But this is not God's world. We are preparing ourselves with self-control from God's Spirit, with love for one another, with overcoming animosity and hatred so that we can rule in the kingdom of God and rule with justice and fairness for everyone. That's what God is calling us to. In Revelation 18.4, it says, Come out of her, my people. It's talking about the Babylon of this world. Maybe more specifically, uh, of the, uh, you know, the beast power and everything. But it's the whole Babylon of this world, the confusion of this world. He's called us out of this. He tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter, the first two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to it. In Philippians 3, 
verses 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not of this world. Now, we may be a citizen of this country or that country, but our primary citizenship is, you know, the citizenship of the kingdom of God. And we, we need to understand that. Satan is stirring up strife in our world. His greatest prize is the church of God. If he can divide you and me, if he can cause us to hate one another, to become racist one way or the other, or just to be polarized about masks, about gun rights, uh, or whether to meet in person on the Sabbath during a pandemic or whether not to, if he can divide us that way, even whether there is a pandemic, even that is controversial in our world. Or who should be president or prime minister? He doesn't really care. All he cares is to get you and me off track and to divide the church. That's all he cares for. And we have a choice. We can let him do that. Or we can humble ourselves and we can fear God. And we can look to his word and his ways and overcome that. I want to close with John, the 17th chapter, once again. John 17. This is Jesus' prayer at that time on the night in which he was betrayed, his final prayer. And he says, I've given them your word, verse 14, I'll begin there. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world will hate us because we don't go along with it. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. From the evil one, brethren, don't let the evil one get to us. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. Continue, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified or set apart by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about the disciples. He says, I don't just pray for them. I pray for those who will believe because of them. That comes all the way down to us today. He says that they all may be one, verse 21, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Brethren, we are one. I know that we have love for one another. Don't let these outside influences cause us to be separated. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Verse 23, I and them, God, uh, or Christ in us, and you and me. I and them, and you and me. In other words, the Spirit of God is dwelling amongst us and in us in one another, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That prayer of Jesus is so important in this very troubling time. Brethren, let's have true, genuine love for one another.